Uh, but even more importantly than uh, getting to have a meal together, um, some hot dogs, to have a party, uh, is the Word of God. And so we get to come here every Sunday, and we open up this Word to share um, also a more important meal that we're going to talk a lot about today, to sing songs about praises to our God. And so we are going to be in John chapter 6 on this fine Sunday, and we're going to be reading about, I think, 48 verses from John chapter 6. Um, we, we value the Word of God here, and so we're going to take the time, 49 verses, um, to read through this um, as we focus in on the last part of John chapter 6. So read along with me on the screen or in your own Bibles. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. And Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to do so we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the father of God, for the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews started complaining about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, stop complaining among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened to and learned from the Father comes to me, and not anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. 
The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Because my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate, and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, asked them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life, but there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe in the one who would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by my Father. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus replied to them, didn't I choose you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil. He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the twelve, because he was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Justin. And, and to make it clear, Justin, I know, it, my concern with younger people today, and Justin is barely younger, is that when you begin to look at what I would consider to be reality, like a box at the back of the room, there is this, well, I don't think it's a box. And actually, that's a, a human thing. I don't think it's a generational thing. It may be more or less. But I don't think it's a thing. I don't think it's a box. A box to me is, and it's not just an argumentative spirit, what really has happened over the last few hundred years is that we have taken things that seem to be rather true and we have really wrestled with them because we get focused on this, well, but to me, but, well, but to me, and when that happens, a wall goes up and you can't see and, and, you, and you have a hard time hearing and then responding. Yeah, Justin and I are just kidding. So those things don't matter. But, but are you a to me person? And again, you, you can have difficulties or struggles um, with those who are close to you or not so close to you. But when it comes to Jesus speaking, when it comes to the Lord giving instruction, then what happens? Well, here's the thing. To me, God, to me, Jesus, to me, how I understand it to be, it becomes a barrier. It's, it's pride when I do that. It's, it's arrogance when I do that. And, and one of the things that John's gospel does um, with, with a lot of interaction, the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they will describe Jesus having conflict, but in terms of this debating conflict, like you see. 
Jesus with Nicodemus. They, they get into a, to an argument, and we get, we get to listen to the argument. You must be born again. Yeah, but well, Jesus, to me, that's why I don't think it's just something that we have to deal with just today. It's a human struggle. Jesus, to me, I, I don't know how someone could be born again, and it's this literal and spiritual problem. It's this literal and spiritual dimension that becomes a barrier or a block. I just don't understand what he's saying, and it's a folding of the arms and a closing of the mind. And the woman at the well, and Jesus approaches her and begins to talk about water, and if, if you knew who, who I was, you would ask me for water because Jesus had asked her for a drink. Well, but Jesus, to me, like I don't understand. I, I, I can't get how you're going to. So this is John 3 and then John 4. And then in John 5, it's the same thing, but now it's not just Nicodemus or the woman at the well. This is a whole group of people who have in fact seen a miracle and Jesus begins to teach what that miracle implies which is that I have come down from God and I am God's prophet, which they recognize, but I'm not God's prophet on your terms. I'm God's prophet on his terms. Well, but to me, what the Messiah should be doing, to me, what God should do is, and, and the walls go up, and the barrier for many people in John chapter six is too high to climb over. And so they're forever disconnected, like forever disconnected. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why we, when we try to understand Scripture, we, we need to be careful. And, and by the way, the Bible says that we should be careful. That's not an attitude of fear. It's an attitude of uh, appropriate humility and reverence. That to just assume that you have it, to just assume that our generation understands it or the times in which we live understand it or the culture that we live somehow understands it, yeah. I mean, hopefully we're enough aware that that is not something we should just rely on. And, and therefore we, we say things and we rely on things. And, and what this audience is relying on is just what they've heard over and over and over again, that we are God's people, that we are God's people, that we are God's people and God loves us and God, God cares for us. By the way, all of that is true. You, you can believe a lot of true things and still not get Jesus. You can get a lot of things right and still not get Jesus. At least that's what the Bible says. I just don't know if that seems fair. To me, that's what I do sometimes in my head. Do you do that? I just don't know if that seems fair. I don't know if that, that seems right. I don't know if that seems appropriate. And I, I find myself, I do, I genuinely find myself wrestling with what the Bible teaches and I find myself wrestling with what I believe and what my culture teaches and it's these conflicting worldviews. And it's not new, it's, it's, it's just... It is this crash that exists in John chapter six to the point where there are many disciples and by the time Jesus is done, there are few disciples. His name was Weldon. I was so grateful for him. He was an elder at the small church in Illinois and he was a very simple farmer. Um, he would love to do, we had like de devotionals before we had our Sunday school classes. We'd have a devotion, we'd have a lesson before we had our lesson. 
And so we'd kind of gather in the building, everybody, including all the little kids, and, and somebody, usually one of the elders, would get up, and they would give kind of a little bit of a Devo. And I still remember coming in, and I think he always wore, like, just kind of bib overalls, just in case he had to run out and get a cow or something like that. I don't know. I just was always, I'm not, I'm a city kid, and so I was just always been, always looked up to those who seemed to be able to kind of, kind of manage in the farm world. And so he was standing at the front. We kind of were a small little church, and so we're just kind of sitting in this one little area, and he's standing at the front, and he's got this bucket, and the bucket's got corn in it. And he's just he's shaking the corn, and he says, whenever I shake this corn, and I can't remember what animal, ducks or pigs or someone, they'd come, to, come after, maybe cows, I don't know. He'd, he'd rattle this bucket, and whatever animal he would have would come chasing after him. And he just said, listen, this is, this is the way that the, uh, that, that the, the gospel should be. Um, we should be in our town just rattling our buckets. We should be in our town, just, we should be in our jobs just rattling our buckets, and people will just come a-running. And maybe I had John 6 on my mind, and I said, yeah, that's, I get what you're saying. And we should be rattling the bucket, meaning we should be sharing who Jesus Christ is. But sometimes Jesus rattled the bucket, and they came. And other times Jesus kept rattling, and they went, nope, can't do this. Can't do this anymore. Well, they knew that. I loved what he was saying. It just didn't explain reality. I don't think Jesus did anything wrong, do you, by preaching this sermon? Is it, is it okay to begin with like 500 people in the room and then to have 10 people in the room and you don't just go, what are we doing wrong? It's such a Western American way of looking at things. What are we doing wrong? No, actually, when it comes to the Gospels, it's not that Jesus is ever doing anything wrong, but there can be large crowds and a lot of people don't get it. That's John 6. I, I want to share with you a statement that I think is really at the heart of John 6 that I, we have not done a good job communicating. And, and truly, this isn't just like a, a, a shock statement. Um, I believe it is a difficult statement that we need to spend the time in to do the work. Well, is that really a box or not? No, that one doesn't matter. But how is a person saved? That one does matter. And we can give quick answers and we can give reduced answers, but we need to give right answers. That's what John 6 is about. How does a person come to peace with God? How does someone have a saved, saving, ongoing saved relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Are there other ways to get to God? All those things are about John 6. So here's something that I, I don't know how this will rub you, but I, I think it'll catch a lot of us a little bit off guard. And here's the statement. It'll appear on the screen. Everyone will be judged according to their work. Everyone will be judged according to their actions, according to their deeds. No, you can't trick me. No, 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 this is actually a biblical idea. You may not like it. I may not like it. It just doesn't go against, like, what about, say it, grace? What, what, what about mercy? What, what about forgiveness? Oh, no, 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 that's in here. But this is a consistent teaching. Old Testament, Job 34. For he repays a person according to his deeds, and he gives him what his conduct, conduct deserves. Psalm 62, 12. 
God has spoken once, I have heard twice. Strength belongs to God, and faithful love, that's the covenantal love of God, belongs to you, Lord, for you repay each according to his works. Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, examine the mind, I test the heart. Andrew and I were watching a very, very, very difficult um, documentary about just the, the most recent um, war in Afghanistan and just how hard it was. And uh, soldiers that made just bad, wrong, and immoral choices. And I just sat there, we sat there, and just couldn't help but think, I'm so grateful that only God judges perfectly. It's just I love to say this to people. It's just complicated. Do you like to say that to people? It's just complicated. You know who it's not complicated for? The Lord. He's not going, oh, this is going to be a tough one for me. I wish I knew. Oh, wait a second. I know everything. <laughs> like God knows everything. God knows my heart. He knows my mind. I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give each according to his way. A way is the 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 conduct of life, right? To give each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. Now, by the way, you might say, yeah, Old Testament, like just move ahead a few chapters. Okay, I will. Romans chapter two. Okay, this is Romans. Speaking of God, he will repay each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who, by persistence in doing what is good, seek glory and honor and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. Is that clear? That's Paul speaking to a church. He will repay each one according to his works. Revelation 19, just in case it's like, but did it change? Well, Revelation 19. This is the picture of those who are in heaven. You can't get really beyond that, can you? Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride, that's us, and his bride has prepared herself and she was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. And and then there's an explanation of what the garments are. And these are the garments that we will wear in eternity. For the fine garments represent the righteous acts of the saints. Everyone will be judged according to their actions. Old Testament, New Testament, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So then we we, we have to really wrestle with, well, what about, oh boy, if that's the case, I'm in trouble. I probably shouldn't say, is anyone thinking that? I should probably say, is anyone not thinking that? Is anyone not thinking that? This is why I think John 6 is not just a difficult text. What what is the statement? That's a difficult teaching. Who can handle it? And and you and I, I, speaking of myself, I slide through a lot of the, the teachings of Jesus because I've figured out ways to reinterpret slash understand them to 
to make the tension less, to remove the tension. So in the end, when Jesus says, it's better to lose your hand than to sin, it's better to lose your hand and to go into eternity without that hand than to go to hell with two hands, well, he doesn't mean that. I don't think he means about the hand because he says that sin comes from the heart. But his point is that sin is serious. And when I take the hand thing and I I resolve it, I lose the seriousness of sin thing at the same time. And that's a tension that we need to resolve, not by taking a quick approach out, not by trying to find the path of least resistance, but instead by lingering long in the text and doing the resolution that is necessary, which is this. That we are saved by our faith in God. And he is gracious and abounding in mercy and love for all who place their faith in him. That is how we are saved. And we will be judged by our actions. It's lazy to just pretend that those statements don't exist side by side. But Jesus explains it right here in John chapter 6. Jesus actually claims that the greatest and most important thing you can ever do, hear me, do, action, is believe in him. And that's why, um, for those of us that live on the other side of the Reformation, this is kind of been a a point of of conflict and difficulty, not with John 6, just with bread and wine, but with this complicated, is it faith or works? And I'm just, I get so frustrated every time I hear that conversation. Because the Bible seems to say yes. The, The Bible seems to say yes. James, faith without works is dead, yes. The great Hebrews chapter, chapter 11, what does it say? By such and such, describing their faith, and it would have a name. By faith, Noah, just faithed around, and just sat there faithing, just totally just faithing about faith all day long, just faithing and faithing and faithing. That's what Noah did. He was a faither. What did Noah do? Built an ark. Why? Because God told him to, and he believed it was gonna rain. He believed God when God said, I'm going to flood the world, therefore, here's a boat. These are the instructions. I recommend you build one. Well, what if Noah said, you know, I I believe that you exist. I'm not building the boat, but I believe you exist. Guess who's floating for a while and then not able to keep treading water? So what is it that saved Noah? Faith. In what? In what God said, which was what? A flood is coming, you better build a boat. Moses, I need need you to go to Egypt and I need you to proclaim to Pharaoh because I'm bringing the people out. And then Noah just faithed and faithed or faithing faith. And him and his family just kind of sat around and well, we believe in God, We we believe in him. We sure do, he's so good to us, kind of sometimes. Now Moses, by faith, trusted that he needed to go talk to Pharaoh and confront Pharaoh, and that's the by faith. And so it's 
It's not just a complicated thing. It's not even up for like some kind of a weird, well, that's your way. No, no, truly, it is. Not just my way. It's what Jesus teaches. Look at verses 28 and 29 of our text. Jesus actually says it. In response to the question that they ask. Okay, again, I think we gotta just think beyond just the last few hundred years. Um, we, we can become so just narrowly thinking about stuff. And I, I just, I love how in the first century they didn't have these, these, these divisions. But we do. We have these divisions in our thinking and they're not helpful for us. And they lead to, um, they, they lead to a disagreement. They lead to unnecessary tension. They lead to, I believe, arrogance where we can no longer listen to Jesus because we don't even have the attitude of it. Attitudinally, we're not prepared to listen to Jesus. Because Jesus, to me, you know what you should do? And, and so they, they say to Jesus in verse 28, what can we do to perform the works of God? What can we do to perform the works of God? Jesus, I, th I think we get what you're saying and we're about, we are the people of God. We're about doing what God says. We're about being faithful to him. And all they could think was Moses, 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 the law. That's all they could think, Moses, the law. They didn't realize that the law and Moses were pointing to someone greater. And the only one greater than Moses is the, and the law is the one who sent Moses and who gave them the law, which is who? God. And they see this man talking as though he's more than just a man. And, and the categories in their life, they just, it doesn't fit. I don't think it's a box. I just don't think it is. Okay. I think it is. Okay. You know that me thinking those are boxes or Justin thinking those are boxes, neither of those make those boxes. Neither of those. That's why you see in John 6 with this really powerful sermon, these really, really powerful miracles, feeding the 5,000, walking on water. Two things no other follower of Jesus that I'm aware of ever did. Only God, only him. What must we do to do the work of God, they asked. And Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one that he has sent. It's just so clear. Believing is a work. Believing is a work. Now, now here is what, as we, as we kind of move to, look, so how, do, how do we work this out in our lives? Here's what we gotta be careful that we don't do. Jesus actually teaches that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, which means I've come here to, to not only show you the way, but I've come to even give you the spirit so that you will have the power to do what I ask. I'll, I'll give you the, the spirit that will lead you and guide you and convict you and move you. It will, it will do these things. I will give you the word, Jesus says. The spirit will come and he will remind you of everything that I've taught. And so all of these things provide a way. So, so here's the thing that is, is just wrong. There's too much tension in the text. There's too much at stake in our own lives to just somehow go, oh, okay, oh, that's, I, I, I don't want to resolve the tension for you this morning. I want the Spirit to lead you. 
I want the word of God to, to lead you to the kind of peace and the kind of presence that only Jesus, that only his spirit, and that only his word can provide. Okay, so you said we're going to be judged by our works, but in the end it's not our works. No, it will always be your works. And what's the greatest, most foundational, most central work that you can ever do? Everything falls from this. To believe in God, in the ones that he has sent, the prophets, but exponentially more, the one that he sent. Now do you see why it's so important that Jesus stands above and over all prophets? Who do we believe more than anyone else? God. Who do we believe more than anyone else? Jesus. Which is it? Yes. Isn't that awesome? It's me. I need you to believe in me. I need you to be consumed by me. I need you to consume me. I need there to be this ongoing pursuit. That is why to resolve, to release, to, to remove the tension doesn't, doesn't do the text justice. And that is why I don't want you to think that believing in Jesus is easy. Because it isn't. Believing in Jesus isn't easy. And if anybody taught you that it was easy, well, but I thought, I thought his burden was easy. I thought his, his yoke was light. It is. It is. There's nothing else like it. And through the power of the Spirit, you have more than anything you need to be faithful to him. And it's work. It's work to believe. It's work to remain faithful. Ask, just go back. If, you don't, if, you, if you're questioning anything that I'm saying, first of all, I, I have no problem being corrected. I have no problem at all being corrected, especially if it's from the Lord. I, I, I spent a lot of times in Hebrew, Hebrews 11, a lot of time in Hebrews 11 this week, Everything described in Hebrews 11 looked really hard. Looked really, 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 really hard. And they all did it. By God's grace and God's strength, they all did it. Did it. But to believe in Jesus Christ is hard. That is why I'm not surprised at all when I hear people say, I don't think I want to follow Jesus anymore. And I don't think the answer is always, I wonder what we did wrong. Listen, I think self-examination is always helpful. You know why a lot of people right now are deconstructing their faith? Because it's too hard. I love reading faith deconstruction stories. They're heartbreaking. I'm not going to hide that or run from that. I love having conversations with Friends, former students, former friends who were former students who were now pastors, but now they're former pastors because they just, couldn't, they just couldn't preach it all the time. They just couldn't keep preaching every week that Jesus is the only way because they went out on the mission field and they met a bunch of people in a certain place. And by the way, the mission field was Arkansas and they just couldn't get over the fact that the majority of people in Arkansas don't know Jesus. They just couldn't get over that. And so they just couldn't, they couldn't have those two things fit. And so in the end, they had to decide, is, is Jesus the only way? John 14, 6, for I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. 
or what they're seeing with their own eyes. This doesn't make sense. I'm meeting good people, and you tell me those good people who don't know Jesus, you're telling me that they're not saved? Well, to me, no, faith is hard. It's not easy. And, and, and by that, that's why we need to have profound compassion. And, and we need to continue to have relationships. We need, we need to continue to reach out to those people who are literally losing hope and trust in Jesus and the Bible. Because it's hard. The Bible speaks about that we help those who are trapped in sin. We don't join them in sin. We help those who are trapped and confused with human philosophies, human psychologies, human sociologies, human theologies. And when we do that, when we, when we pray for them and when we help them see the truth, we can rescue a brother or sister from an eternity separate from God. But faith is hard. That should not only explain your journey. For, for a lot of people, it could even explain like why I'm not very spiritually mature. I just uh, haven't done a lot of work. Truly, you could look at me at any moment and say, how did you get that body? And I go, that's pretty easy. <laughs> Eat what you want, don't exercise a lot. It's easy. And then you see somebody else who's really fit, and you go, how did you get that body? Because that, that just looks healthy. How, how did you get to be someone who really believes in the Lord? How do you get somebody who really learned to trust in the Lord? How has life not poisoned you? Because you've had a difficult life. And it's like Hebrews 11 just jumps out of the page. I just, I eat and drink Jesus a lot. I am consumed by him so much that I have consumed him. I, I just, I've never met anyone who is of, of, of deep spiritual character and maturity who just got to that point by not really caring or doing anything about Jesus. The, the lack of spiritual depth in your relationships, the lack of spiritual depth, right, in your spouse, in you, in your children, in your parents, is directly tied to John chapter six. Their consummation of and them being consumed by Jesus. That's just the truth. But it's not easy. Look at verse 60. Therefore, when many of the disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? It's, it's almost a throwing up of the hands. Have you ever, have you ever done that? Have you ever just been in a, in a class? I've done a lot of, uh, I've, I've been a student even longer than I've ever been a teacher. I've been a student for a very, very long time and there have been moments in which I just get angry at the class and at the teacher. Have you ever been there? Um, for me, it was all my Hebrew classes. And the teacher's explaining it and he's going too fast and I just, I didn't want to look embarrassed. There was a guy in the front row who didn't even know English and he was learning, he was literally from India and he was learning 
in English, Hebrew, and he didn't even know English, and he's doing great, and I think I know English, and I'm struggling. And I started getting mad. Well, I can't keep up. Well, this is just not, and I, I just, it literally just, this is just who, who could do this? You ever been that way? Have you ever looked at technology and, well, I can't figure this out and you just want to, I'm going to give it to my grandkids. You ever been that way, like in a relationship? This should be a lot easier. This is just, ugh, I don't understand why this relationship is so hard. This should just be easier. I just, I just, I, I don't, I'm out. That's what they're doing right here. You ever done that with God? This should be easier. I just can't believe it. Why does it have to be so hard? Really? I mean, think about this for a moment. You think our understanding of the great and mighty God of the universe should just come easy to us? Well, but to me, that always gets me in trouble when I do the to me stuff. To God, it's not easy. The second thing I want you to realize is that we should never think that it is a matter of reasoning or feeling or willing, like our will. It's not just a matter of us thinking. I, I'm, just, I, I'm not here this morning to have you think differently, although that's part of it. I'm not this morning just trying to help you feel something different, although I think that is actually part of it. And it's not just about, well, I'm going to do this, the power of the will, but actually that is a part of it. But every time you think that it is a matter of thinking or it is a matter of feeling, right? Or a matter of, well, I'm just gonna do this. Wrong, wrong, wrong. And Jesus makes it very clear in our text. Look at verses 43 and 44. This should, I, I love, I believe, okay? This, this is me speaking again. Um, I believe that I am closest to God when I am simultaneously terrified and comforted. Simultaneously. When I feel like I'm over my head and I'm gonna be okay. That's usually when I know. And by the way, it's a common theme in the Bible when people encounter God. Remember we talked about this last week? You're absolutely terrified and he says to you, you should be, but do not fear. I really think that that is how you can know that maybe you understand what you're dealing with. I had a friend of mine, she actually worked with me at the college and her son was killed one summer. He was an electrician and he was working on a, on a project at a, at a big site and I asked her, hey, you know, what, do you know what happened? And she said, well, one of the dangers when you become an electrician, I was always telling him he needed to be really careful is you're dealing with something that can kill you, but you're dealing with it every day, and so you just, you don't pay attention all the time. And I think that's what happened. It was just a, he just got used to dealing with it and didn't realize what he was dealing with, but it was always dangerous, and uh, yeah, I know what that's like. I'm a preacher. Like, you probably know what that's like because you've been following Jesus for a long time. So you're dealing with this amazingly powerful thing that you've just grown to be comfortable with. That's why these Jews have no interest. They've reduced it to thinking and feeling and doing. But Jim, I thought it was about doing. Yeah, but what's the do? To believe in the one that he has sent. 
and to be committed to that. That's the will. And then, and then to have it totally transform you. Sure, sure, sure. I, I, I guarantee you, thinking and feeling and doing, yes, that's what a human does. But Jesus says in 40, verses 43 and 44, and this, these should be underlined, and Jesus answered, stop grumbling among yourselves. Stop being just mad and stop just to meing all of this because no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. I will raise her up on the last day. If you think God is not involved in your salvation, you do not understand the greatness and the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. And verses 43 and 44 should both simultaneously make you swallow hard and sing for joy. Truly, if you were to ask me why I believe, I used to say, I grew up in a Christian family. You know, I just, honestly, I'm just by nature a really good person. I'm not, hear me, I'm not saying I don't make mistakes, but, but honestly, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person, even without Jesus. So it was kind of easy for me to just kind of, you know, do the Christian thing. I'll tell you, like I, I don't, when I try to find that moment, and I know a lot of other people who are gooder than me, I know that was a mistake, gooder than me, and, um, and also grew up in Christian families who, who just, it's a block. Yeah, this chapter's full of them. Of the 12, there's one of them. Of the 12, there is one of them. Listen, I'm not asking you to think through this, but I need you to think through this. I'm not asking you to feel your way through this and just be authentic. I'm not asking you to just power through this. I'm asking you to pray about this and surrender to this. That that is why Jesus makes it very, very clear, unless you become like a child, you can never enter into. Well, but to me, there I am adulting again. John says this actually in chapter one. It's not just found here in chapter six. It said in chapter one. Speaking about Jesus coming into the world, in verse 10 it says this, he, Jesus, was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. And he even came to his own and his own people did not receive him. That's John 6. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. That's John 6. Who were born not of natural descent, not of natural descent, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. Thanks be to God. And, and therefore, this morning, there's just no way for us to not think about this. Here's what I want us to reflect on. Okay, we, we try to do this at the end of the message in light of what Jesus said. The work of God is to believe in me, to be consumed by me, and to consume me, to know me, and to really want to know me. Is that you? Think about it. Uh, here are the two statements I'm asking you to reflect on. Number one, do you believe in Jesus? Like this kind of saving consumed by believing in Jesus. 
it, this is the same sentence. Do you trust in Jesus? I would even say that a lot of people who say they trust in Jesus have a backup plan, and that is trying to be as good a person as they can be. There's no backup plans with God. There's no backup plans. And, and that is why those of us who are also good people recognize that the good things that we do are never of ourselves. I like to remind people when they say thank you because I've done something good, that wasn't, okay, well, it was me, but it wasn't me. Oh, you're telling me that only Christians do nice things? Nope. But I will tell you this, only Christians do them for the glory of God. Do you know the difference? Do you see the difference? I don't believe you have to be a Christian to do good things. But only Christians do them for the glory of God. Well, is that what it's all about? Church, what's the answer? Yes. That is what it's all about. To believe in him is to give glory to him. Therefore, this morning, there's just, in light of the difficulty of this text and the difficulty of our own circumstances, spend a few moments before we eat and drink reflecting on this question, do I really believe in him? Do I really trust him? Is my life modeling that? You know that in John's gospel, there is no last supper. There is the washing of the feet around the last supper. There's a lot of prayers and conversations that Jesus has around the last supper. They go out to the garden after, but there's no last supper. A lot of scholars say it's because the last supper is right here in John 6. Well, kind of. So John doesn't record it, but it happened. That Jesus took the bread and he broke it, and then he asked them to believe something. He tore off a piece, and he gave it to them. They may have been thinking about John 6, I don't know. But he said, this is my body, and it's been given for you. Because your good works are never enough. They can't be. But my good works are. Do you believe me? Do you believe that like I am enough to make peace with God? Do you believe that I am the greatest thing that has ever, will ever, could ever happen to you? Do you believe it? And for those of us that do, we take it and we eat. And he took the cup and he said, this is the blood, my blood, of the covenant and it has been given to you. They may have been thinking about John 6, I don't know. For your redemption, the third cup of the Passover, his blood for our forgiveness, 
Do you believe it? Do you, by an, this is an action, do you believe that the blood of Jesus Christ is what makes peace with God? For those of us who believe it, we drink. In response to what Jesus has taught, no matter where you are on that journey, let us stand and do our best to sing these songs of praise, glorifying him, making bold statements of our confession and our belief in the goodness and the greatness of God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's worship.